How can you reframe problems you can't fix so they don't bug the heck out of you? And how do you set boundaries with no regrets? Find out on today's episode and a whole lot more. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad Block, host of The Physician's Guide to Doctoring. This is a personal and professional development podcast for physicians where we have experts on the show that try to teach us everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. We talk a lot about side gigs on this show. So if your side gig or even your main gig is a medical technology product that you want to pitch, or you're even in the early stages of product development, you could benefit from consulting with Charm Economics. They use government data, peer-reviewed journals, and trade literature to support and enhance your business model at all stages. Whether an early stage pitch deck creation, return on investment modeling, or peer-reviewed article production, they can help. See how Charm Economics can transform your business development today so you can focus on building your product, growing your network, and implementing your vision. Check them out at charmeconomics.com. Dr. Laura Kazir, Dr. Amanda Dinsmore, and Dr. Kendra Morrison, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having us. Thank you. So you, the three of you are all, you're all emergency medicine physicians. Dr. Dinsmore, Dr. Morrison, you both work together. Dr. Dinsmore and Dr. Kazir, you did residency together. So that's how all the connections are. And one thing that ties you all together is you were all suffering, maybe still suffering from burnout and managed, you know, we all have these thoughts about quitting medicine, some of you considering it more seriously than others, but all of you are still practicing, all of you still managed to dig yourselves out of that hole. And so now you are helping other physicians to do the same thing. You're physician coaches, and also you're sharing that knowledge in your podcast in the drive time debrief. So if you could just give us, you know, the origin story of the podcast, including that, the interesting name, the Drive Time Debrief. All right. So I, we like to call ourselves burnout survivors. So while definitely the trials of the emergency department still creep up on us, we have a set of tools that helps us cope in a much healthier way than we once did. And the Drive Time Debrief came out of a desire to provide some tools to our colleagues, either on their way to work or on their way home from work, to help them deal with what is a truly an incredibly stressful job. We endure so much secondary traumatic stress at work and don't really get a lot of opportunity to process it. So one way we do process in the emergency department, say we have, if we have a code, in particular, if we have a code, someone who's a young person or somebody, you know, accidental drowning or someone who we might feel like was taken before their time, many times we'll have a debrief afterwards where we'll either have a moment where we reflect and honor that person's humanity. And then we can look at how the code went, what we loved that we did, what we would do differently the next time. And so that is what our podcast offers is some tools to help us process the things that happen to us, not just at work, but just in life and that have happened to us during our training and help us to approach the practice of medicine, in particular emergency medicine from a healthier and hopefully happier space. Well, I think a lot of the trials that you all experience in emergency medicine apply to a lot of us. I mean, the acuity, the volume, the stress of the patients, the 
complaints of the patients, right? Like the fact that you're addressing a lot of society's problems embodied by the patients themselves that we can't fix, right? You know, a lot of the stuff that applies to emergency medicine really applies to the rest of us. So I think you guys have a great position there and you're really doing, and you're really doing great work on top of just embracing the fact that, you know, when people listen to podcasts. So, and if you're not listening to podcasts while you're commuting, I just don't understand you. So for those that are listening here, some people do on their exercise. I can't listen to this while I'm exercising. This is not going to inspire me to like run faster or work harder. Right. So yes, the commute is, uh, is the time to do it, especially after now I just drove back in Long Island traffic. So plenty of time for listening when you have. So one of the things that you all talk about a lot in your podcast is these thoughts that we have that are certainly adaptive and make sense from like an evolutionary perspective and allowed us to survive. But in our current society, you know, prevented us from being like exiled from the herd and then dying, right? But they're not really helpful in our current society, especially in our positions. So what are some of those cognitive biases, these unhelpful ways of thinking that you talk about on your show or talk about with your clients? So there are so many. So Actually, you know, if just you just pick a favorite, yeah, we'll start with that. Right, right. But one that we see frequently in physicians in particular is equating your worth with what you do as opposed to who you are as a person. We keep doing more and more trying to get some sort of external validation. We've lost that internal North Star. And so that's something that we frequently see people working themselves literally to death for what? I don't know, but like still trying to prove something. That's one. Perfectionism is a huge problem in physicians. And that frequently is due to the system in which we have trained. We go from very adaptive high achievers to maladaptive perfectionists. And that really does hold us back. One of the things that is very characteristic of perfectionism is polarized thinking. It's either a good day or it's an awful day. It might have been an 85% good day, but there is no in-between. There's no gray zone for us. It's just that patient's terrible, that attending's great, because one thing went with, wrong with one of the 20 surgeries that you did today. It was a horrible yeah, day. Yeah. So that's a very And equating thing. your yeah. worth, I would say, with your worst outcome. I'm sure a lot of us do this as well. Not yeah. just equating your worth right. with your job, but like you're, you know, that's what you, you might have had 15 patients go, oh, that was amazing. You might have gotten, especially in your position, right. some high fives from colleagues. Oh, great catch, great save. And right. then you have one thing that you're like, oh, I forgot to follow up on that lab. And like, that's what you focus on. Yeah. Yeah. And that's called mental filtering. And that is what makes us great physicians is looking for the things that are going to hurt people looking for the negative things, because like, who cares if everybody's well, right? But when we carry that into our personal lives, it's so painful. We're just missing out on all of the good things that really do exist and giving ourselves zero credit for it. Another one is future, we call it future tripping. That's a coach speaks sort of term. It's like when you are dreading your shift or dreading your call, you're not at work yet, and yet you're pre-living the awfulness. And that's something that was huge for me. I would have full-on physiologic symptoms driving into work. I wasn't even there yet. But yeah, I would have told you back in the day that work was ruining my life. 
but I wasn't even at work and I was choosing to think about it and was ruining my own life. So that's one. Another one, another very common one is control fallacies, the of which there are two. Internal control fallacy is where you're responsible for everything. It's your fault that patient died. Never mention, you know, it never crosses your mind. You have nothing to do with staffing shortages, the fact that the patient waited too long to get there, the fact that you didn't create the disease in the first place. That's internal control fallacy where somehow you're re you're totally responsible for all of the bad things that happen. Then uh, on the flip side is external control fallacy where you have no control of anything over your life. You are just the victim of whatever admin says or you are just, you know, at the mercy of you're not even you're somehow control of everything bad thing that happens, but yet you have zero control over your own life. So that's just a few things that we see frequently in our clients. So a lot of that sounds like stuff that I've worked on in therapy. And so something that yeah. I have some questions about would be like, where does then coaching end and therapy begin? Because there seems to be some overlap there. Yeah, there there is quite a bit of overlap, but some things that would be completely inappropriate for coaching are like if you're in an abusive situation, if you are not able to do your activities of daily living, you're so depressed that you can't get off the couch. If there is a trauma that needs to be worked out, we don't go to the past. We're like, okay, all these things happened and now what do you want to do with them? So if there is something that truly needs to be processed from your past, that would be a mental health professional. If you're suicidal, of course, that is not for, you need to be calling the physician helpline. We are Whereas therapy frequently gets you from non-functioning to to functioning, coaching specifically is future focused, getting you from where you are now to better, you know, going from zero to ten. Whereas a lot of therapy is going from negative ten to zero. Does that make sense? And like we don't need to know anything that happened to you. Like so, all of this stuff happened to you in your childhood. Great. Okay. Now what? Where do you want to go yeah. from here? Well, with my personal experience with therapy, that's all it was, my unhelpful yeah, ways yeah. of thinking about situations, right? Like it wasn't, we didn't, I was like, yeah. could you just blame everything on my mom? Like, that would be so great if you could just do that and absolve <laughs> yes. me of responsibility. And he was like, no, now that you've acknowledged that this is a problem, if you don't work on it, this is your responsibility. Right. So it was my unhealthy, unhelpful ways of thinking about different situations. Like if I do this, then this person should do that. That were the yes. problem. So we were doing a lot of the stuff that, that you guys work on, but I would argue that you yes. guys to in some ways get it more because you're there. Like nobody gets physicians like physicians, right? And I'm not telling people that they should Correct. do it because it was extremely helpful for me. And I would encourage anyone to, to pursue. I think it's one of those things like, exercise, sleep, eat well, and get therapy. But, uh, yep. but like, well, coaching is heavily based in positive psychology and cognitive behavioral therapy. Like that okay. is what one of our very first clients was a psychiatrist or she is a psychiatrist. I shouldn't say was, but she said the way that, that, and I was like, what are you doing here? She's like, there's something about the way that you guys are presenting the CBT that is so accessible for daily use. It's not this big, long process. It's a very teachable, very usable way. So she was calling it CBT light, you know, just like, like a lighter version it, of it. Got it. Okay. 
Okay. So, and so another thing that you guys talk about is boundaries, right? And that's something that I've personally have kind of flip flop around because at one point I was like, you know, okay, fine. Add that patient on. Okay. I'll see more patients. Okay. I'll open up more hours. Okay. 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 And then I like went completely in the other one, in the other direction. I'm like, they're taking advantage of me. I need to set boundaries. And I was like, no add-ons. I'm not taking it anymore. And like, I don't care. And so then I, you know, I've kind of found a middle ground now that kind of works for me, but that was a lot of trial and error. But give us a, you know, your spiel for physicians and setting boundaries in, in at least in the workplace. Yes. So boundaries are really important, especially for physicians to learn about, because during our training, essentially we had no boundaries. We, I like to jokingly kind of call what we endured through our medical training as a system of narcissistic abuse. And it created a bunch of codependent people pleasers in a lot of ways or malignant people with malignant narcissistic behavior. And so boundaries really were not a thing because we just have to do what the system tells us to do. But what boundaries do for us is help us create a space where we can ponder who we are, who are, what our core values are, and make sure that the things that we are doing, where we're spending our energy and resources are in alignment with what our core values are. So it's kind of like a fence around your, around your home. And if someone crosses a boundary, it is up to us to know what we will do in response to that. It's not us controlling other people, but we will respond to a boundary violation in a, hopefully, a way that we've predetermined. So I'll give you an example of one of my personal at work boundary violations. This doesn't really happen anymore because I've held my boundary nicely over the years. But if a consultant were to speak to me in a, an unkind way, a rude way, or yell at me, my boundary is that I will point that out to them. And if they continue, I will hang up until they feel like they can talk to me in a respectful way. And because I've held that boundary for years now, it doesn't happen very often at all. So that's one example. It's not me controlling them. I'm not controlling that other person, but I am well-informed about what I'm going to do in response to other people's behavior. And this is so essential for us because we give so much and we are at risk being naturally, we're in a helping profession. It is natural for us to kind of over help and over gives to the point where we become burnout or depleted, exhausted, overwhelmed, any of those. So as we maintain healthy boundaries, we keep our own cup and are able to pour from an overflowing cup to help other people. We're still helping. We're still being amazing pro-social human beings. However, we're maintaining our own well-being first. And this is what, as physicians who've gone through medical school residency, we, that really wasn't a huge part, of, as I recall, in my training. There wasn't a whole lot of, hey, are you taking care of yourself more how are you taking care of the other people? So boundaries just really help us to stay healthy 
and help us to enjoy our careers and life just according to our core values and just feel better about the whole situation. So a verbally abusive consultant is a pretty clearly defined red line, right? Like I'm not tolerating, I'm not, I'm an adult, I'm not professional. I'm not getting yelled at by another adult, like goodbye, right? So that's a pretty yeah. clear red line to draw. But there's a lot Surprisingly, of Surprisingly, a lot of people don't even hold that line. Yeah, no. And that I mean, cuz we're not what... trained to. Like you're going to have to, mm-hmm. you know, I need you to call this consult by the way, you know, we're going to you're going to eat some crow in in doing it. Like that's part of our training. But there, you know, in mm-hmm. with regard to the gray zone, I think sometimes where we have trouble even deciding where that boundary is like are we preserving our own mental health or are we really just being selfish? Right? Like I want to go home early. Yeah, I always want to go mm-hmm. home early. Right. I'm not taking any extra work like you might have these two, you know, in your departments, you might have two individuals, one who's like, oh, yeah, no, sure. I'll take some extra patients. Yeah, I'll still a little. Yeah, I see you guys are getting slammed. I'll stay a little later. So things are tidied up and you'll have some people who are like, peace out. I'm gone. Good luck. Right. So the person who's saying peace out might be like, I got my boundaries. I'm just preserving my own mental health. And you're like, no, you're a dick. So like, how do we. You know, I don't want to be a jerk, but I also don't want to be the mat that gets walked all over. Sorry, I couldn't remember the word for that. So what, you know, how do we know where that line is? Well, one thing that we teach our clients is that we really need to not worry so much about what other people think. We need to identify our core values. So I can go ahead and be a dick. Peace out. If that's what you want, If that is, you know, if that's what you want, yeah, you get to be whoever you want to be. If that's in alignment with your core values. Okay. For me, that would not be in alignment with my core values. And for a lot of people in medicines and in particular in the emergency department, we are one of our core values is teamwork. And sure. My, so I'll give you another example of one of my work boundaries. My work boundary is that I'm going to leave within. 30 minutes of the end of my shift with all my charts done. That is one of my boundaries that I'm going to hold. However, I also have exceptions. Last night, I had a child abuse case I was dealing with. And one of my other core values is to not overcomplicate my partner's evening shift if possible. So if I can wrap things up, then I will. If it's something simple like, hey, can you just check this urine on this patient? Fine. I'm not going to, I personally prefer not to pull another physician into a complicated abuse situation. So I, I did stay an hour after last night, but I felt good about doing that. It, I felt like it was an alignment. I did not feel a drain on my energy or soul other than just like, of course, dealing with an abuse situation is always horrible, but I definitely felt good about the way I handled myself in that situation. So identifying where we can be a little flexible, as long as we are not feeling the life being sucked out of us, you know, that that's reasonable where we can open the gate to our fence around us. We can open the gate and make a small, you know, make an exception 
But the problem lies where we have made a lifestyle of making exceptions and allowing people to kind of tell us what to do with our lives rather us defining that ourselves. So what we need to do is just pay attention to our energy, pay attention to if we feel like our souls are being sucked out of us because of accommodations we're making. That is a, that's a red flag. That's a time to step back and say, Hey, what do I really want my boundary to be? What would be a reasonable exception that is not going to happen every day that, that I can feel, still feel good that I am holding my boundary and keeping myself healthy. Well, that makes total sense because if you're that jerk that, you know, is just leaving immediately and leaving your partners with a bunch of work, right? That's consistent with your values because that's how you live your life any, every other way. Right. Whereas you're the person who doesn't want to get walked all over, but at the same time, like it's consistent with your values to not leave your partners hanging, then that's, yeah. But you have to like be cognizant of that. Is this something that's consistent with my values? And then, as you said, you're not leaving it up to other people's opinions of you to make that decision. You're using your own, can I sleep at night, you know, having made this decision? Isn't always that's that really does clarify it. Well, and I would also take it a step further to say some of the boundaries that like Lauren, Amanda and I have learned to set is also setting an example. Like people are looking, our colleagues are looking at us and they're, you know, so it can also be that example that you're setting. Like, wow, what is that? Like, I've never seen that before. And Amanda likes to tell the story of when I actually did walk out. I chose to quit medicine because obviously... I was burned out and I had enough and it was a patient safety issue. And so they li- I set a boundary, the line was crossed and that was my cue to hand in resignation. So that was my boundary and Amanda witnessed that and she was like, wait, that's an option <laughs> instead of continuing. It blew my mind. It had never occurred to me that I sort of agency over and that's what I'm talking about, that external control fallacy where you just feel stuck like you are. You have no control of the situation. But then Kendra walked out and I was like, wait, what? And then it spiraled out of 10 more people quit right after that. I was like, wow. Okay. Just because she was an example of what's possible, you know, but with boundaries, I would say. Did the system change? No. So you didn't end up back there. No, no. And, and no, we do work there. And so we are our own testament that what we are trying to teach people works because we are all Kendra and I still work at the same place zero has changed if anything it's gotten worse but we mentally are better you know but the most important thing to me in boundaries is once you start realizing you only have a certain amount of time and so when you say yes to something by default you're saying no to something else if you are saying yes to tack on these eight more cases you're saying no to family time. So that is where it that's where it becomes easier like this is not in alignment with what how I want to be living. And so this is today is the day that it ends. We've got soccer practice. We've got homework to do. Like there's stuff like I got I can yeah. No, I'm not doing this. Yeah. You won't get that time back. So I would imagine that some of this is going to cause discord among partners, right? When you're working with a bunch of other emergency medicine physicians who are all covering the same facility and same, you know, patient loads, some work faster than others, some work better than others, 
right? Like you're taking, you're like, I can't believe they, you know, couldn't drain that peritonsal abscess or whatever, you know, whatever it happens to be. They missed that appy. Like there's going to be some friction. So how do you navigate? I know it's a very general question, but how do you navigate that friction among partners? That's a great question. I think one of the main things to keep in mind is some of this mindset shift really is about taking your power back. And so a lot of what we do is focus on your the self. And the most impo- important relationship we have is the one with ourself. And so when you think about your relationships with others, and if you, like we said, you've set boundaries, you've worked on these thought disorders, all of the things you do to better yeah. that yourself relationship, a lot of it will overflow into the other relationships. And so one of the things that can create quite a bit of dysfunction is just what we call our prescription for others. And so it's basically like the the set of instructions that we have that we think, quote, should be the way other people should act. Like you shouldn't have missed the appy. You should have drained the PTA. You should not have let that kid go home. You so a lot of the shoulds is basically the ex is the explanation that we have expectations for others just like they have of us. And so when you realize that actually the only decisions or only person you're in control of is you and that person's going to make their own decisions based on the evidence they have in their own brains of what should happen. And once you know that, you can continue to kind of seek the situation from a from a perspective of curiosity. And so we say, how could we remain curious and not furious? That's one of the things that really comes to mind. I have to remind myself all the time, actually. I'm like, this is funny that this is how it's... Kendra's a medical director. (laughs) This is funny how this is going down like this. I wonder why it's going down like this. You know, instead of just jumping to judgment, which is very easy. Our brains, we like to talk about our primitive brain and the fact that it did. It used to keep us safe. We would run from things that were trying to kill us. We would only come out of the cave when we knew it was safe. And we only, we sought pleasure. That's the thing that the primitive brain wants to do. So when we have moved into more higher functioning, that nice developed prefrontal cortex, we actually get to choose now. When we have these signals that come in, we get to choose how we react. And so I, I challenge sometimes my brain when it does want to jump to judgment because that seems easy and fast. And I'm like, maybe maybe I can take a step back and think about, I wonder where this person was coming from. Also, when it's happening to me, as far as when it's someone is coming at me, they haven't quite had the pause or the thinking that they should be curious instead of furious. And it's coming at me. I realize that actually I also get to choose if this person gets to accept me. And so if anything that we would be able to just The message that could be just, you know, the home run, the delivery here is that no one really can accept you unless you let them. And so that's also a choice. So just like you can decide not to be furious with someone for a decision they made, you can also decide that, yeah, I'm not going to let this get to me. I'm not, I'm going to choose to stay neutral here and just kind of let it go. So sometimes it takes staying curious. Sometimes it's just giving the person the benefit of the doubt, like just like you are tired after your third night shift in a row 
and you weren't able to spend time with your family and all the things that kind of could make you bitter and resentful, that person may also be coming from that those same shoes. And they may not have been able to see their family or get enough sleep or blah, 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 blah. So that's kind of how we do that. Once we realize that we actually do have a prescription for other people and once we can realize that, yeah, those expectations probably aren't deep-seated in anything worthwhile and they're also going to have the same expectations for us, we can choose a different way. And does that work? Like, Because you're the medical director, right? So I would imagine there's a lot of conflict between physicians or physicians and staff that you have to get between. And so there's, yeah, there's coming at it with curiosity, but then they're not curious about when it's between, not between you and them, but between them and someone else. Like, how do you intervene? Is it the same kind of Ted Lasso, you know, that I remember that scene, I don't know if y'all watch it, but where he's like throwing darts. And if you knew that, if you had been curious and asked, you would know that I did this with my dad every Sunday after the baseball. So. You know, when you're, is that how you solve that interpersonal conflict as well? I think there is an element of that, but I think also it comes from the, just the expectation. So, you know, that person had an expectation of that person and vice versa. And maybe those weren't clearly communicated. And so one person probably expected another person to act or say or do but it wasn't clearly communicated to that other person. And so they also had an expectation, but it didn't include what the other person thought they should act or say or do. And so it really is getting to the bottom of like, okay, what exactly were you expecting to happen in this situation? And what did you think you needed to do in this situation? And so once you can get that clear communication of the actual task at hand or what was even supposed to be the goal of where we were working towards, usually it, you can come, you can kind of get back to that neutral ground and then there's some clear understanding. But I think a lot of times what happens is that it's not clearly communicated. And so then arises a lot of discord, a lot of just wondering and hoping and seeking. And unfortunately, when you don't even have a good a grip on exactly maybe what you're wanting them to do or what the situation was heading towards, it's hard to communicate that. So being very clear about yourself and about A, your boundaries, B, what you are going to do and what you're going to allow other people do and the consequences, and you can clearly communicate those. I think it does definitely help to not only resolve situations, but also prevent future com future conflict. To use one of the but examples I like that from... you mentioned. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. She mentioned consequences, because I think a lot of people think that we're just selling, just go to your happy place no matter what. As long as there's clearly communicated consequences, then it's not personal. The person crossed the line, and so then they either get let go or whatever the consequence is. So it, it just takes the personal offense out of it. Like, these are just facts. It's just science. You did the thing, and this is the consequence. Got it. I could see that. You know, we're not working with something specific. Like from one of your episodes, there was like a urinalysis that took four hours to come back. I, this is what you were talking about. And your expectation was that it would take fewer than four hours for it to come back. But in some situations, when it's interpersonal, it's like my expectation was that you would be able to do this. You would be able to, you know, handle seeing four patients in X amount of time. And while well, your expectation is unrealistic. Well, it shouldn't be, you know, like 
And you're just going to have to get them to a place where they can agree to disagree. But this is what's happening. And being the medical director, I guess that's where you set this boundary. Your expectations are unrealistic. You're going to have to change that. You know, you are going to have to, you know, pick up the pace a little bit. Um, not a lot. You know, you can kind of, you make those decisions. You don't let the people that are yelling at each other make those decisions about expectations and boundaries. In fairness, there is a slight difference in a couple of different relationships regarding expectations and boundaries. And those would be like an employer-employee relationship, parent-child relationship. There's a little bit of difference. What we focus on mostly with our clients is just drama that we create in our mind because we think people we have no authority over should be doing things differently than they do. I've definitely done that. I had drama in my head for the, when I was like, whenever I run behind, this was actually pre-therapy and not post-therapy, <laughs> that the five people in the waiting room were getting furious about having to wait so long to see me and were ready to throw down and bite my head off whenever, whenever they got into the room. And like, I would come in fists clenched, like ready to argue back. And they would be like, oh no, no problem. Oh no, I get it. Yeah. I saw how busy it was. Yeah. I saw that you had a patient come in with like, blood pouring out of their face like a faucet. Yeah, no, no. And like 90 times out of 100, they would be uh, totally cool with it. And yet I had that, I played that in my head and it just amped me up for no reason. So you had the expectation that because there were many people in the waiting room, although you didn't have evidence that it happened every often, your brain offered that up right away. And that's what happens is it's going to offer up the easiest thing first, because like I said, it wants to conserve energy. It doesn't want to seek out evidence for the latter. It's easier to offer up that you see five patients in the waiting room, therefore, and you're behind, therefore, it's going to roll. We are going to roll. And that's just the easiest thing. Mm -hmm. And until you're intentional about choosing a different thought about that, it's just going to keep playing out. And it takes work and it does take intentionality. But doing just that little bit of work, can you see you felt your fist clench, you felt tension, whatever it felt like in your body until you found more evidence of the latter, like 90 out of 100 <laughs> didn't say anything. They were very graceful and very forgiving. And then you're like, oh, okay, maybe this doesn't always have to be this way. So that's kind of how the our classic, yeah, classic example. Yeah. Classic example in the ER is when patients check into the waiting room that we feel shouldn't, they're not an emergency. They shouldn't be here. And we will get so worked up and it accomplishes nothing. Like <laughs> it's an adult. They can check in if they want to, like, like whatever. But me getting absolutely furious over it, didn't speed things up, didn't make the person not check in, didn't help me. It only made me worse. So that sort of realization is the things that are so helpful in yeah, our careers now. That happens with us. Like, I, like I'm a specialist and they're coming to me with what is obviously a cold. Like it's a cold. And then you got to, you know, but they don't know. They don't like, you yeah. know, because allergies can turn into a cold, right? Like, you know, they have some of these fallacies that they, that you just have to untangle. Like, you know, maybe they should be teaching that in high school health class. Maybe they did, but like, what's the point of getting mad? You're in a position to teach them, use it, teach them. And then maybe they won't utilize the emergency department or specialty care, or even go to the doctor, you know, next time they'll just be able to handle it themselves. <laughs> well, well, this has really been great. So Dr. Laura Kazir, Dr. Amanda Dinsmore, Dr. Kendra Morrison of the Drive Time Debrief. 
Thank you so much for time for your time. So where can our listeners find you online? So our website is www.thewholephysician.com if you want to go to our website. But you can also check out the podcast, The Drive Time Debrief with The Whole Physician. It's on Google, Apple, Spotify, all the usuals. And we'd love to see you. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. I have a favor to ask. You listened to the episode until the end, which means you either fell asleep or you really liked the episode. So please share it or like it or comment on a social media post or write us a five-star review, something. It would really help me out. And maybe what you learned from this episode can help someone else too. The views expressed in this episode are those of the interviewer and interviewee and don't represent the views of their employer or even their significant other. Even though the magic of podcasting make it sound like I'm talking directly to you. This is not a doctor-patient relationship, and this is not medical advice, or financial advice, or really any advice. Thank us again for listening to The Physician's Guide to Doctoring.